the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Join us now for a very special parenting series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and The Word to Stand On for Life on AM630, The Word. This is The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more from April, visit our website, calvarysa.com. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. From our kids, anonymously, the question was, is sex outside of marriage wrong? If not, why not? And if so, why is it so? Anonymously, and we protected this zealously, so your parents don't have to worry about anybody knowing what your child said, nor do you have to worry about, well, was that my kid? You'll never find out. About what you'd expect, some of them, sex is not wrong. God made it for husband and wife. It is wrong if you aren't married or if you're having it with someone other than your spouse. Sex is wrong outside of marriage, mainly because God said so, I love that answer, which should be good enough, but also because of diseases, emotional damage, etc. Inside of marriage, go for it, but only with your husband and wife, or or wife. In fact, the Bible encourages married couple to do so often, so not to stumble one another. That was one response. I like that. Another one, sex is completely wrong outside of marriage because it goes against what God says in the Bible about having sex inside marriage so the wedding bed won't be defiled. It's great if you're married and not wrong at all. Next, sex is not wrong. Is it a gift? It is a gift from God that allows the continuance of the human race. Since it is a special gift from God, Satan tries to pollute it. So in actuality, it is how it is used that makes it good or bad. I like that answer. No, sex is not wrong, another answer goes. It is very good, and it feels good, but not before marriage. It is a sin to God, but no. The next response. Yes, if you're out of marriage because it displeases God, and there are consequences, no, if you are married. Sex is not wrong when you are married because God said so. However, it is wrong Outside of marriage, in parentheses, it is called immorality. Now, these final three might surprise you. Is sex outside of marriage wrong? No, because it is natural for everyone to do it. No, sex, another answer. No, sex isn't wrong because I believe that it is fun and pleasuring to the body, and age is just some, in quotes, time you've lived. And finally, sex is not wrong. 
wrong, emphasized not wrong, because it is, again, emphasized your body, and you can decide whatever you want to do with it. Is it true? Is it our body when we're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ? Is it true? Sometimes I think we... We forget that God loves us so much. We forget that his plan for us is so wonderful. We forget that, that he's got such a wonderful, wonderful will for our lives that if we simply would fall in line, if we would simply do what he wants us to do, our lives would be so rich and so full and so passionate. How much does he love you? And make no mistake, this is where it all begins. How much does he love us? Would you just please close your eyes and let me read how God thinks about you, and especially if you have your teenagers here tonight. Let them just close their eyes. Men, women, it's all the same, but especially I want the ladies in this room tonight to drink this in and soak it up. This is Jesus speaking to you. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves, like a lily among thorns, is my darling among the maidens. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, and all of them the shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Get this, all beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels. The work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Beth Rabim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry, the king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are, and how pleasing, O oh love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters of its fruit. Guys, that's how much God loves you. That's what consumes his thoughts toward you. He looks at you all day and is enamored by your beauty, by your majesty. And too often we simply don't buy it. And then we allow all of this junk, the junk of the culture in which we live, to come in and ruin that picture. And can you imagine, parents, can you imagine God who loves you, who thinks of this without saying or doing anything to correct you? Can you imagine him letting you defile yourself? Remember, he's our model for parenting so we have to follow his example. We have to think of our children from God's perspective. And we can't be inactive. We can't be passive in parenting our children when we see them doing dangerous things, when we see them engage in behavior way before their time. Do not awaken 
or arouse desires until the time is right. Three times in the love story of the Bible, the Song of Solomon, we're told that very thing. Guys, when God's Word says something once, it's vital. When it's repeated once, in other words, verily, verily, Jesus said that, or truly, truly, I say unto you, it was Jesus saying, attention, attention, listen closely, what's coming is very important. Well, when it's repeated three times, how important is it? I wish Peter were here tonight. He could tell us. Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, you know everything. Peter, do you really love me? Peter, lovest thou me more than all of these? And the Bible says Peter's heart was hurt because the Lord asked him three times the same question. Well, this evening we're going to be asked by God, do you love me? Over and over and over, do you love me? Do you love me enough to rightly represent me? before your children. You see, we live in a world that hates your children. Now, they want to market them, they want to sell to them, and they do a very effective job. But the truth of the matter is, is that the world we live in absolutely hates your children and is trying the best it possibly can to destroy your children. I, I keep thinking of the Wizard of Oz. Oh, we're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. I mean, think about it. When I grew up, Lucy and Ricky couldn't say the P word on TV. She was with child. Rob and Laura Petrie, my favorite TV family, slept in twin beds. Oh, how times have changed. Parents, I begin tonight with a solemn charge. It is your duty before God to, prevent, to protect your child's innocence and purity, even if they don't want your help. Your child's body may be physically ready for sex, but his or her heart, their emotions and their mind simply are not ready. It is your duty to protect your child's purity and his innocence. Our topic, as I've already said, is teen dating and sexuality and the role of the parent in it. I warn you in advance that if you draw a line in the sand and take God's side on these issues, people, even professing Christians, are going to get angry with you. They're going to say unkind things about you. They're going to accuse you of being prudish, old-fashioned, and, hey, you've got to get with it, and you're going to drive your children away. But remember, three times in this great love story, the Song of Solomon, we're told not to arouse or awaken desire before it's time. Now our problem begins with the culture we live in because we live in a culture where that desire is aroused way before it's time and your kids are paying the price. Sex, which is a beautiful gift from God to be enjoyed under His guidelines, has been turned into an ugly thing that the world has made it out to be. Lest you think I'm a prude, I want you to know that Paul and I lived together before we got married for a year and a half, some 35 years ago. And we understand what sin is like, but you know what? We also knew, even though we had a million excuses, well, you know, we love each other and the whole world's against us because we're a mixed couple. You know, my dad disowned me and, and her mom had some dish, difficult issues. And so, you know, we don't have anybody else to turn to. We could rationalize it a million ways. But the truth of the matter is we knew, we always knew what we were doing was wrong. 
And we just continued to do it until our hearts began to harden. If you're here tonight and you're involved physically with someone you're not married to, you know it's wrong. You know better. And yet the harder our hearts become, well, the more we repeat our sin. And then the harder our hearts become and the more we, and, and the cycle is vicious. So we're not prudes here. We simply understand that we're God's servants. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean, as the world so unfairly accuses, that we just want to impose our will on everybody else, or we have these ancient, outdated rules for sex and related issues. The world would say we're ignorant, but but we understand differently, don't we? That God has given us sex to delight in. It's a gift from God meant to be enjoyed to its fullest. And the problem for most of us is that the only way that can truly be done is to do it God's way. We start with this basic premise. He alone makes the rules for life. One of our young people said, well, God said so. That should be good enough. It should be good enough for every Christian in here. There should be no buts. When I say God hates premarital or extramarital sex, we should all simply say, you're right, I agree. Not with, well, you know, I disagree. God understands. We love each other. We've got special circumstances. He hates it because it separates him from you, the very thing he died to accomplish, that he might have fellowship with you, sweet fellowship with you. And we blow it simply because we can't control or are unwilling to control our lust. He made it, sex, and he alone makes the rules. And it is not prudish, nor is it old-fashioned, to take God's issues and take his side. The rules for sexual behavior are the same for adults and teens. Sometimes we have a tendency to think, well, the rules are different because they're younger. And, and the rules are, no, the rules are the same. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and then it goes on to mention some more. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery. Interesting. Murder and adultery, and after that he says sexual immorality. Parents, just as you have experienced in your life, these thoughts are in your mind and come out of your heart. Your teenager has sex the unholy desire for it in their hearts. And if it were not there, we wouldn't be here tonight because we would be talking about something else. How big is the problem? Let me identify that first with some staggering statistics, which I have been praying this week your children will not become a part of. According to the Rand Corporation, each day, approximately 7,700. I would have been shocked at 77. I would have come to you and said, 77 kids each day lose their virginity. But it's not 77, it's 7,700. That's 7,700 teenagers relinquish their virginity every day. In the process, we all know what the consequences are. Many will become pregnant and many, many more will contract a sexually transmitted disease. Already in our country, and this is as of 2003, one in four Americans live with an STD, a sexually transmitted disease, and this percentage is increasing 
every year. A New York Times article reported some studies indicate three-fourths of all girls have had sex during their teenage years and 15% have had four or more partners. Think about that. Teenage girls sleeping around. Four or more partners. A Lou Harris poll commissioned by Planned Parenthood. Now you know what they're trying to demonstrate with their poll, but the results are still effective. A Lou Harris poll discovered that 46% of 16-year-olds and 57% of 17-year-olds have had sexual intercourse. Kids are trying sex at an earlier age than ever before. More than one-third, that's 33% of 15-year-old boys, have had sexual intercourse, as have 27% of the 15-year-old girls. Among sexually active teenage girls, 61% have had multiple partners. And you say, when did all this happen and why is all this happening? Well, the reasons for such early experimentation, sexually speaking, are many. Kids mature more quickly these days. We feed them better. Biology simply indicates that we're growing older more quickly. We eat better, we grow larger and faster than ever before. Puberty happens earlier and earlier, in fact, earlier than ever before. And just by way of a side note, when your children, especially the girls, are overweight when they're between five and seven years of age, they reach puberty much earlier, many as early as nine years old. That didn't happen when I was a kid. I was a boy soprano when I was 17. It's different in the world in which we live. All of that, according to Pediatrics Journal, an issue in 2003. But I think there's another reason, too. And this is my opinion. This is simply observation. I have no facts to support this, so you can do with it what you want. But, but I also believe that kids are stimulated earlier than they've ever been stimulated before. I remember having to sneak into liquor stores and sneak over the other counter to look at the adult magazines. And then the people would be watching. They knew what we were up to. They'd kick us out. That's not the way it is anymore. Your children have exposure to sexually explicit material in ways that when I was a kid I could only fantasize about. And the result is that desire is awakened. They are aroused. And they become interested and it becomes a topic of conversation, and the body begins to grow, and your children are simply not ready for it in mind and in heart. Research shows that sexually active teens are more likely to feel depressed and attempt suicide. In fact, two out of three sexually active teens say they wish they had waited. And it's not, I don't believe, because of any false or romantic idea about being married a virgin. I think it all has to do with the disappointment and the lack of fulfillment in the sexual experience. They wish they had waited. Why? Because it wasn't what they were told it was going to be. It wasn't the way television and movies and other media outlets, as we discussed last week, promised it would be. Again, the same survey says more teens lose their virginity during the summer months than at any other time of the year. We spoke about unsupervised time. That's exactly the reason why. 
According to the research in the Journal of Health and Social Behavior, it gets worse. The numbers of kids who refrain from intercourse but engage in oral sex is staggering. According to one survey, more than half of all teenagers ages 15 to 19 have engaged in oral sex, including nearly a quarter of those kids who say they've never had intercourse. You see, your children are rationalizing that having oral sex is really not having sex at all. Where, pray tell, did they get that idea? I did not have sex with that woman, he said. But he did. And so too are your children. I've had parents helplessly ask me, what do I do, Pastor? The girls are so aggressive sexually in middle school and in high school that my son simply gives in, he caves in, he can't resist. In local high schools, girls are performing oral sex on your kids in the bathrooms, on high school campuses. And they think nothing of it. And parents are hearing no evil, seeing no evil, and thus speaking no evil. Oh, I I just don't want to think about it. It's the time, guys, that we live in. How in the world did we ever get to this place? Listen to these numbers. 75% of prime time television includes sexual content, according to the Kaiser Foundation. Movies have an 87% likelihood of presenting sexual material. I think the other 13% are cartoons. 23%, now think about how staggering and what an impact this statistic has. 23% of the couples and scenes where intercourse was implied or shown appeared to be between the ages of 18 and 24. Non-marital sex is referred to or shown explicitly two or three times in every soap episode. Not in most of them, in every episode soap opera episode. The Center for Media and Public Affairs reports that the sexual content is featured once every four minutes on network TV with 98% of all sexual contact having no physical consequences. In other words, you can have sex and then we go to the next scene. And my heart breaks because your children are allowed to watch those things, even in their own home. It's one thing if they sneak off and do it at somebody else's house, and you're really not aware. But but too many times our children are allowed to watch that, and we throw up our hands as parents. Well, what what are we going to do? It's everywhere. Read your Bibles at home. Do Bible studies at home. Go do things. Take walks. Read books together. Do something. But allowing your children exposure to these kind of movies and television are simply going to increase the likelihood that they're going to see sex is absolutely okay. When God says, no, 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 I liken you to a mare harnessed to one of chariots of Pharaoh. I love you, my darling. All beautiful you are. There's no flaw in you. And yet your child, the one of whom God speaks in those terms, is being defiled by another teenager. Now, I'm not here tonight to debate the merits of safe sex, versus abstinence, what methods of controlling teenage behavior are the best. I'm simply here to plead, literally to plead with parents and teens who claim to be born again 
to do, to actually do what God says to do, for no other reason than you love Him. I know, and so do you, that raging hormones are a fact of your teen's life, but self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And never forget that if you are filled with the Spirit of God, if your teenager is filled with the Spirit of God, He has given you the power of self-control. And He expects, God does, for us to exercise that self-control. Do you even believe that your kids should be expected to control themselves when tempted? Do you believe that they can be expected to control themselves in the culture in which we live in? Do you believe that they should be expected to honor God no matter what other kids in the world are doing? Now, guys, I truly do. I truly do. So I'm going to start from a very, very solid and yet perhaps eyebrow-raising foundation tonight. There is no acceptable level of sexual activity for people who are not married in God's eyes. Let me say that again. There is no acceptable level of sexual activity for people who are not married in God's eyes. Men and also young teen boys, please understand something. When you look into the eyes of a woman that you care about, a woman that you're attracted to, you're looking into the eyes of God's daughter. And He expects you to treat her that way. With respect, with tenderness, and with real love, not with lust, but with real love, a love that protects, a love that is kind, a love that is gentle, a love that is tender, a love that is focused on the love He has for you. More of the parenting series with Pastor Ron Arbaugh of The Word to Stand On for Life coming up in two minutes on AM 630, The Word. Join us now for a very special parenting series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and The Word to Stand On for Life on AM 630, The Word. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Let's talk about dating. And I want to spend some time here. This is another area where I can't win. Some of you here tonight want me to say, dating is wrong, God hates it, it's not biblical. And others of you want me to say, lighten up, let them be kids. Neither of those things is true. The Bible is silent on the issue of dating. For those who have decided that courting and not dating is biblical and is God's plan, I would say, how do they know that and how did they arrive at that conclusion? I can see how a protected dad would arrive at that conclusion, but not our Father in heaven. The Bible is silent on the issue of dating. Why? Because they didn't date in the cultures when the Bible was written. Girls often got married. married. Marriages were arranged at 13 years of age or as soon as the young girl began menstruating. I'm pretty sure none of us want to duplicate that method anymore in our society. So what about dating? When should we or should we at all allow our kids to date? 
Let me begin by saying this is a matter of conscience between a parent and a child. Romans chapter 14 verse 23 says anything not of faith is sin and that should be your standard, not what other well-meaning Christians tell you is their standard, which also ought to be your standard. These are issues, important issues that need to be settled in the councils with God, in your prayer closets, agonizing over your responsibility. It's a prayer God will always answer. He wants to give you wisdom. Do any of you lack wisdom, James said? Let him ask God who gives it generously. Say, Lord, I need it generously. What should I do about my daughter? He knows everything about your daughter. He knows everything about your teenage son, when they can handle it, when they'll be trustworthy in the process of dating. It is your job to seek God's counsel and then to do his will. Now, why is this such a divisive issue? And and why is it that Romans 14.23 should be the standard? The reason is that Probably there's no two of us in this room. Even though we're all Christians, there isn't any two of us who could agree on what dating is. We couldn't agree on how to define the word. I hear some of your kids talk about dating, and what that means is they pass notes in class. They talk on the phone. They write their names on the back of their hand. Oh, yeah, we're going together. Parents say, oh, yeah, my daughter's dating so-and-so. Well, what does that mean? He's 14. He doesn't drive anywhere. Well, well, no, you know, they just talk on the phone. So, So you see, we can't even define the term dating. And since we can't agree on what dating is or how to define the term, we have to turn to solid biblical principles regarding dating. And these are in no specific order of importance, but they need to be talked about tonight. The first principle is that your believing child, and even if your child has not yet made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, if you have, your child should never, ever be allowed to date an unbeliever. Never, ever, and in the Greek that means never, ever. Now why is that important? Guys, the truth is, we could all fall in love with a lot of people, couldn't we? The star quarterback... The best-looking girl in school, the funniest or the smartest, and they can steal your heart. God forbid that your daughter, God forbid that your son would fall in love with somebody who doesn't love your Jesus. How could you ever explain that to God? Well, it was just an innocent date, you know, a date to a dance at school. And who knew what was going to happen? They were going to fall in love. And, you know, once they fell in love, it was just too hard to stop. And so, you know, I just figured it'd blow over and God will look at you and say, but it didn't. And your teenage daughter at 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 might be stuck with a man who leads her away from Jesus instead of to Jesus' parents. You don't want that to happen. Your child, as a believing parent, should never be permitted to date an unbeliever. Let me also qualify something uh, about dating an unbeliever. You know, just because somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean they are. Parents, it's your duty, it's your job to watch that young man or that young woman's life for a while before you release your child into his or her arms. Make sure that it isn't just lip service. What was his name, Eddie Haskell? (laughs) 
For those of you who are young, ask somebody who's older, and they'll tell you what Eddie Haskell was like. Now, people say, well, Pastor, that's just too restrictive. Let me give you very clear biblical support for this principle. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Paul writes, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Here's the reason why. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, parents, you have to be wise here because your daughters, your sons are probably not going to introduce their boyfriend or their girlfriend as, Mom, Dad, I want you to meet Belial. (laughs) And he or she is probably going to be a very nice young man or young woman. I'm not saying that Christian kids are better. I'm not saying that, that we should discriminate. I'm simply saying, what do light and darkness have in common? Why do you want to expose your son or your daughter to a potential life with somebody who doesn't have anything to do with the man who is supposed to be the most important thing in the life and in the heart of a believer. Be careful. Be careful. That's the first suggestion. Second, don't panic when your child develops a crush on another child, another teenager. You know, they may call it dating, they may call it going steady, they may call it any number of other terms, but let's face it, talking on the phone and talking at school falls far short of dating. I advise caution in this area because I've seen too many parents panic when the child develops a crush or when they think a relation and they make a big war out of it. And the truth is these things are going to blow over in a week or two weeks. So choose your battles carefully. When your daughter, when your son comes and hey, I have a girlfriend, I have a boyfriend, rather than panic, sit down and talk about it calmly with them. Well, what do you like about him or what do you like about her? What evidence of the fruit of the Spirit do you see in their lives? Ask them to tell you about their conversations. You need to know what they're talking about. But don't Make World War III out of a relationship with a seven-day lifespan. Save your battles for the real wars because, believe me, there are plenty of them to come. Third, the age at which you allow your child to date alone, and by that I mean with you not in the car or in the restaurant with them, should be determined prayerfully and should be based only on the trust you have in your relationship with your child and that child's relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As for me, I suggest 30 to 35 years of age. (laughs) But as I said, that's between you and God. What are some of the alternatives? Have your kids, the high school age ones, go out with groups of other kids, even if they hate it. Even if they hate it. You know what? Go with them. Even if they hate it, later in life, I promise you, Vanessa, no laughing. (laughs) I promise you later in life, they will appreciate your level of concern. They may not appreciate it at 14 or 15 or 16 or 18 or 19, but as long as they're in your house, I promise you they will appreciate it 
later because they will know that they were loved by their mom and their dad. Insist on your child's so-called dates coming to your home to hang out instead of going out to hang out so you can get to know the person that you are entrusting your child to. And if they're unwilling to do it, tough. Just the way it's going to be. And when they scream and when they yell, remind them that God made you the parent. And just as God doesn't leave you alone to do whatever you want, you won't leave them alone to do whatever they want. Make sure your kids, even your preteens, avoid physical contact with members of the opposite sex. And in this day and age, you know, that's not a requirement anymore. I'll probably step on some toes here as well. But it really bothers me. I mean, more than you can say. It's, it's, it's just a pain in my heart to see Christian parents who allow their children, their teenagers, to hold hands and kiss. Right in front of mom and dad. It's like there's no respect at all. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that they're not going to do it when you're not looking. That's why you always have to be looking. But it's disrespectful to God. It's disrespectful to you, mom and dad, to have kids holding hands, holding all over each other, because what happens when they're left alone is they go over to the shopping mall, they hang out, and they start kissing and doing all these things and the stuff you don't know about. And it begins with holding hands. You say, oh, come on, Pastor. Holding hands is innocent. What's the damage? Some of you men will remember when you held hands with your girlfriends in high school. It could be very erotic, couldn't it? Because there was a lot of filthy stuff going on in your head right here. I remember taking Arnell Anderson to the local movie. It took me, it was a double feature, thankfully, because it took me the whole first movie to get to the place where I could maneuver my arm around her. Finally, arm was around her. Once it was there, I wasn't leaving, no, no matter how badly it started cramping. <laughs> I can't tell you the things that were going through my mind. One, my arm really hurts, but I'm not moving it. But two, the reason I'm not moving is because I know what's on the other end of those fingers. It's hard to be cool when you finally get up and just involuntarily your muscles are contracting and your arm's doing it. <laughs> Do not allow physical touching between your kids and their boyfriends or their girlfriends. It's going to lead to trouble. Physical touching leads to physical familiarity, and physical familiarity leads to dropped guards, which leads to sex, not once or twice, but always. I know we say, but everyone does this kind of thing. Do I have to put my kid in jail? Is that what God expects? Guys, what God expects is for Christians to be different. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing, the making new of your mind. Tell your kids boldly and bluntly and without apology that touching and kissing is not okay. It's not okay. And if you think it is, moms and dads, you're simply wrong. You're simply wrong. Single moms. A warning. Your parents, I mean your kids, are watching how you behave with your dates. And you lose all authority 
to discipline your child if, in fact, you're violating those rules. You say, but I'm an adult and I have needs. Well, you're God's daughter, just like your daughter, just like your teenage son. And God is your parent, and he's always there. Fourth, prepare your child for the pressure that he or she will be under to have sex. You know, kids get in now even into elementary school, and it's almost like something's wrong with them if they're not involved in a relationship. Ten-year-olds have boyfriends and girlfriends. Why? Because that's what they see on television and in movies. The world we live in makes it seem like there's something unnatural or something wrong with your teen if they don't have a relationship with the opposite sex. Guys, I don't know what happened to the idea of having friends. Just friends. But even young kids no longer feel normal without a more-than-friends relationship with someone of the opposite sex. You know, a good kid can hold out for months and months and months to the pressure for sex and then finally give in to the pressure from their romantic interests. Why? Because teens aren't ready for romance. They have crushes. They have lust. And they can say no over and over and over and finally get to the point where, where they're overcome by temptation. It's your job, mom and dad to prepare your child for that kind of pressure, to keep them out of the places where they can be pressured, but short of that, making sure that your child is prepared for that kind of pressure. You see, it only takes one experience to get pregnant or to contract a sexually transmitted disease, and this may surprise some of you, but from my perspective, it's even worse. It is even worse if they have sex and they get away with it, nothing happens. You say, well, how can that be worse? Being pregnant can ruin their life. But let me tell you something. There is a devil who will ruin their life to a far greater degree if they get away with sinning without consequence. And he'll begin whispering in their ear, see, I told you it was okay to have sex. You can do it again and again and again and again. He hates, the devil does, your kids. And he wants to destroy them. It's that simple. Fifth, we need to be emotionally engaged as parents with our children. Kids with strong emotional attachments to their parents are far less likely to participate in sexual activity. What that means, and especially with dads, what it means is that it's your job to connect with your kids, boys and girls, and share your hearts with them often. One of the biggest lies of the devil is that we can replace quantity with quality time. It doesn't work. Your kids can't be scheduled in. It's your job to be there when they need you. Your kid needs help with homework. You want to watch a football game? Kids got to take the priority. Your kid has questions. There's something troubling them. You know your children. Turn off stuff. Go into a room and talk to them about it. What's going on? Oh, nothing. That's what your kids say, isn't it? But you, know, you can say, I was born yesterday, but it was real early in the day. You can't fool me. I know you. <laughs> What's going on? And you know what? They want to talk. You just have to give them the opportunity. And you have to be engaged. You have to be committed to them so they know that you care. I can't tell you how many 
young teenage girls go and get pregnant simply giving this answer to the question, why? Well, I just wanted somebody to love me, and so I thought a baby would love me. And then they find out that a baby's a tyrant. But the idea sounded so romantic. It sounded so okay. Oh, the baby will love me and need me. Nobody else needs me. Nobody else loves me, they say. Dads, invest yourself into your kids, boys and girls. And those of you who have girls, date your daughters. Make them feel special. Make them feel beautiful. Make them feel loved. Take them out. Spend time. Share your heart. It'll make a world of difference. We have no excuses. Let me close tonight with a couple of observations. The idea of dating in relationships. We say, well, it's just a part of normal, everyday, growing up life. Well, what's the purpose from God's perspective of a relationship? Is it not to honor Him? Is it not to bring a man and a woman together so that they can fulfill what is lacking in the other, so they can go out together and accomplish God's purposes for His glory? Is that not what the purpose of relationship is? Paula is my helpmate. That doesn't mean she's my assistant. What it means is that I can't do what I do without her doing what she does. And the same thing is true in reverse. So why is it then, if we understand that that's God's plan, why is it then that we're pushing kids into relationships that won't lead into any of those places? Think back on the relationships that you've had in your life, adults. Relationships that didn't turn out to be married relationships. How many of them ended great? How many of your past sexual experiences, you're still really good friends and have very good thoughts towards those people? The answer is none. Do you want that for your kids? Do you want that for your teenage boy or girl to say, you know, it's just sex, physical activity, as one of our young kids did. It's your body. You can do with it what you want. It's none of God's business. It's none of your business, Mom and Dad. Is that what you want? That is what the devil wants. It is what the world that we live in wants. And it is only what your teenagers think they want. Relationships for Christians should have a purpose, and that purpose should be to please God. If a relationship is not serious enough to discuss marriage, any moms and dads in here ready for their teens to be married? Then why are we pushing them into relationships? I've got to tell you, we've had teenage boys and girls in this church who are wolves and wolvettes. And I've seen moms pushing them together, saying, well, they're, they're church kids, it's okay. And, you know, the, the, the boy's got that snidely whiplash laugh going on. Because he's just seeing a young girl he can devour. Don't push relationships, except one, that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the one 
that we have an obligation to push. If your kids are under pressure to have sex, let them know often how pleased you are, how pleased God is with their decision not to have sex. Talk to them about it. Talk to them about these issues that are being discussed tonight. Make sure your kids know they're loved. And moms and dads, home is the place for physical affection between family members. Make sure your kids see their moms and their dads physically affectionate with one another. Your teenage boys' dads are learning how to be godly husbands watching you. If you're so distant that you never have time to talk to your wife, if you're so distant that you never hug her, that you never do something nice, if you're so distant that it's always just kind of a, oh, well, it's just the way we've kind of evolved in our marriage, that's what they're going to see as normal. Dads, your teenage daughters and younger are in the process of picking out a husband just like you. Because that's what they see as normal. Would you be pleased? Can you honestly say before God, I'd be thrilled if my daughter brought home a boy just like me. If not, repent. <laughs> and get right with God. Seriously. Moms, your daughters are learning about the role of a godly woman, a godly wife, by watching you Submit or not to the leadership of your husband. Don't be surprised if you don't submit to the leadership of your husband. Don't be surprised when your daughter doesn't submit to authority anywhere, even yours. Remember, these are God's rules and not mine. Make sure that hugs and kisses are plentiful around your house. You know, one of the neat things, my boys are 32, and this coming week my youngest will be 31. And if I saw them today, they would both kiss me on the lips. i got to tell you, I like that. That is so special. That's the way it ought to be. And they're flesh of my flesh. And that's what we should desire. Finally, let me say this, and I realize I'm really on touchy ground. And I'll talk more about it next week. We can't do anything about past right now tonight, but, but I can talk about it in terms of your present circumstance. Finally, divorce. Don't do it, period. Your children need to know they're secure. They need to know they're secure. Years ago, I had a woman leaving her husband for another man. She sat in my office and she said, Pastor, you know I love my kids. I would do anything for my kids. And I said, you're a liar. She said, you know I'd kill for my kids. I said, you won't even stay married to their father. Truth is, we're selfish. Don't do it. Don't do it. I was talking with a friend the other day and he found that his parents got divorced after he was gone and away from home. After a long, long period of marriage together, they divorced. As a grown man, it crushed him. Remember who we serve. Remember who our parent is. 
and parent your child that way. Thank you for joining us for today's program in the parenting series from Pastor Ron Arbaugh and the Word to Stand On for Life. 